welcome to Freedom Cast, a podcast dedicated to interviewing star icons and entrepreneurs who have encouraged others to become more healthy and active. My name is Ashton, and it's my pleasure to host you as we take another trip through the fitness industry. It's entertaining and informative, and I hope it makes fitness more exciting and special to you in your own fitness journey. Freedom Cast is supported by Freedom Fitness Equipment in Charlotte, North Carolina. Freedom Fitness Equipment serves the health and fitness community nationwide, from free weights and strength equipment for home gyms and studios to cardio and conditioning equipment for commercial spaces. Check them out at freedomfitnessequipment.com. Let's get rolling with today's show. Um, can you talk uh, just a little bit, of, or as much as you want, about um, how uh, Meet RX, the company itself, came to be and why or how you even came up with the concept of the carnivore diet as a, as a diet? It seems to me it would be more of a lifestyle, but um, tell me if I'm wrong about that. Well, I mean, with regard to, you know, founding MeetRx, it was kind of interesting. I, I had already was starting to work in that direction um, as far as, uh, you know, trying to develop a community uh, around this, you know, and provide support and, and you know, and, and actually have a community that, that, that kind of gets things go, done on a, on a sort of a, you know, a, a social level mm-hmm. to where we can start to shift the narrative a little bit. And, uh, but I just, I just didn't have the technical expertise when it came to the computer side of things and so i had a person that contacted me my put my who's now my co-founder uh she is a, a data scientist that uh, uh is, was in silicon valley and uh, was greatly affected positively by by following a carnivore diet and she she actually reached out to me and said hey i really want to work with you and uh you know you know i, I this is something i really want to do and i you know gave her some thought and we we launched that and we started that you know about a year and a half ago and we've had uh, just, uh, uh, you know, success from the get-go. I mean, it's been working and it's been, you know, we've been growing pretty rapidly and we've got, you know, thousands and thousands of members now. And uh, we're seeing just tremendous wins, you know, as far as getting people healthier, but also, you know, doing some of these other things with regard to getting research done. You know, we're funding, you know, we're funding a pretty aggressive study for that. So we're, we're making headway on that. I saw and, that, uh, yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're doing well with that. But as far as, you know, you know, how I, you know, as far as lifestyle or whatever, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think diet is part of a lifestyle and you can either, you know, some people choose to live on a healthy lifestyle generally, and some people do it sometimes and some people just could care less. And, you know, I think uh, diet is part of that. I mean, I think it's a very important part of your, of your health. And so um, whether you do a a carnivore based diet or something else, you should at least be thinking about it. You know, I think, I mean, you know, if you care about quality of life and some people, it's not the first thing on their mind. And, you know, you know and, and granted, depending on what your situation is, you may not have to think about it. You know, if you're young and healthy and you've got been relatively comfortable, you may not care about any of this stuff. But, you know, most people after a certain age, you know, this stuff catches up to you or some people it starts out early. And so unfortunately it's, it's, it's the majority of people that, that end up needing to correct their lifestyle due to, you know, what they're doing currently. Sure. Um, did you start um, eating a, a majority meat-based? What? How many years ago did that start for you personally? And what even led you into starting to do that? Did you hear from some other research or, or did you start developing this kind of on your own? Yeah, no, I, I certainly wasn't the first guy to do this by, by no means. And, and yeah. you know, I've given credit to folks that have done this for, I mean, you know, it goes back. I mean, there's physicians back in the 1700s that were doing this stuff, you know, 
I mean, it's it's gone on for forever and ever, and probably before that, this is what we have records of. Um, you know, I I uh, was so I'm 54 now. I was I think I was around 42 or 43, and you know, I, I was an athlete. I mean, I'm still an athlete, and I was competing at very high levels, and you know, just got done winning a world championship. I remember in something called the Highland games where, you know, put on a kilt and you throw big, heavy, whatever poles or shot put things. And, and, you know, I was, I was very, you know, very accomplished athlete training very hard, but I noticed my health was taking a turn for the worse. You know, I was developing, I'm sure metabolic syndrome. I was probably pre-diabetic, you know, um, I was not sleeping at sleep apnea, all these types of things that, that go with, they're all kind of clustered together. And, and I realized that, that's not how I wanted to feel and be for any longer. And so even though I, you know, like I said, even though I was doing the training part of it, so I started playing with my diet again, this is, you know, over 10 years ago now. And I mean, I kind of uh, went initially low fat, lots of vegetables, lots of fiber, some lean meat, um, was able to lose weight doing that. That, that does work. Yeah. Um, but I was just miserable. I mean, I was just like, I can't live this way. There's no way I can sustain this. I mean, it's just not, what I'd want to do for the rest of my life. And I was, you know, I was hungry all the time. I was, you know, grouchy. And uh, I remember the nurses at the hospital, they said, Hey, we like the, we like the fat Dr. Baker better. <laughs> I mean, there's some truth to that. I mean, I wasn't that fat. I wasn't like, yeah, fat, yeah. but I was just yeah. a big dude. And um, so then I started shifting and I went on kind of more of a paleolithic diet and, you know, play with that for a couple of years and, you know, did pretty well. And then wound up doing a lot of research and reading and started shifting toward the low carbohydrate diets and then ketogenic diets. And, you know, during the ketogenic diet, I was always, I was always, you know, eating a lot of meat. I mean, I was like this, you know, this is part of it. I'm going to do it. And I enjoyed it. And it just made sense to me, but I was still pounding all the big salads and doing some of the uh, keto treats and fat bombs. And I just, you know, I was, while I was better, particularly when it comes to satiety and appetite control, I felt there was more I could do. And then I started running these crazy weird, this is nutty people just eating meat. I thought this is, this is very bizarre, but I ended up kind of, you know, this is on social media and I was following these people and watching them and listening to them and what they said made sense. And I started looking at some of their source literature and read it. And, uh, you know, and then I said, well, what the heck, I'm just going to try it. And so I tried it for, I mean, initially I would just do one day. I'd say, I'm just going to do one day of eating steak and eggs. And you know, I actually felt pretty good those days. And then I would, then I would string it into longer stretches. And uh, eventually I got to where I was one month. You know, so I'm going to do it for 30 days. And I was on social media. I had a little bit of a following at that point. Not, not what I have now, but I mean, you know, there's still several thousand people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we jokingly said, you know, what am I going to die of? Surely this 30 days would just <laughs> kill me. And, you know, it was like scurvy or heart, heart attack, or yeah. your, your colon's going to fall out because there's no fiber and all that stuff. And, you know, at the end of 30 days, obviously none of that happened. Hmm. And I actually, I felt great. I was like, wow, this is really in- interesting to me. I, at the end of that, after that 30 day period was over, I said, well, I'm just going to go back to eating my kind of regular, healthy, you know, omnivorous diet. And I did. And I mean, literally within a day, I started feeling not as good. I was like, you know, I'm starting to get aches back. My digestion's not feeling as good. My energy's worse. So I was like, you know, screw that. I prefer to feel good. And so I went yeah. back to meat. And I've basically been there for now going up, it's closing in on five years now. And, uh, you know, I continue to, you know, not die. <laughs> That's phenomenal. So just so people understand, are you talking about completely meat-based as in zero vegetables, zero fiber, all animal byproducts, or do you have any other stuff outside of that? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, like, you know, if you look what I, t- I had today, I had, you know, I had five pounds of steak for breakfast. It's melanin nice. over there. Holy you know, cow. That's, 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 that's a pretty typical day for me. I don't eat much else. I mean, over the five years, I would say probably 95% of my diet has been straight up red meat. That's, okay. that's been what it's been. 
within that 5%, sometimes I'll, you know, go for a period of time, I'll eat some eggs, or sometimes I'll eat some seafood, sometimes I'll eat some pork or bacon, sometimes I'll have some dairy products, some cheese or things, yogurts or stuff like that. Every once in a while, you know, I'll put some spices on my meat occasionally, but 99% of the time it's just salt. Um, every once in a great while, I'll have like, uh, on my kid's birthday, I might have a, a, a slice of cake, you know, yeah. but it's, you know, it's been, and you know, I do that not because I'm craving and need to have it. It's just, it's just kind of a social concession. I'll have a glass of wine from time to time. But mm -hmm. I mean, generally, you know, I would say, you know, 99% of my diet is 100% animal based. And uh, I honestly have never felt better. I mean, I've performed as good as I've ever performed in my life. I mean, I'm just, you know, it just works really well. I, I used to do CrossFit and, uh, well, uh, there was a couple of reasons I quit it. One, because I'm naturally, you know, thin and I, it made me thinner. Um, what is your, so what's your opinion on the differences between these two? Because that's pretty heavy on the meat side already. Um, it does have vegetables and, and that kind of thing, but um, why, why, why did you, for example, not stick with that? Because I mean, there's ways I feel like you could stick to still meat heavy and still have some vegetables or did you just feel like it wasn't satiating enough or something? Yeah. I mean, certainly I, I don't disagree. There's many people that do fine. I mean, they do completely yeah. fine with it, with a, with a whole food omnivorous diet. There's nothing wrong with that yeah. except for the people where it doesn't work, you know, and okay. there's, there's many people where it doesn't. And, you know, it's like I said, it's not like I didn't try having vegetables and salads and meat. I did that. I did that. And I honestly, un, you know, completely objectively do better on just meat when I omit those foods. And so uh, while we hear that fruits and vegetables are, are great and we should eat more of them, you know, but it's, you know, you think about what, what drives that sort of um, ideology is really when you're eating fruits and vegetables and that's taking up a portion of your diet, what, what are you not eating? Typically you're not eating Twinkies and Doritos and ice cream, right? I mean, this is where you're, yeah. you're making those substitutions. And yeah, I would argue that that's a healthier substitution. I think what gets confused, what, what incorrectly gets applied is that they think that meat is somehow bad for us. I mean, this is, you know, you think about meat is something human beings have eaten as long as there have been human beings on the planet. This yeah. is something we have evolved to eat. And, and one of the reasons perhaps why we even evolved in the first place is because of meat consumption. There's, you know, if you believe in an evolutionary approach, which I, I personally do, mm -hmm. ample, ample evidence to show that we were high level meat ever, meat eaters. We were um, you know, very carnivorous, you know, you can look at radioisotope data, you can look at isotopic data, you can look at, you know, depictions in cave paintings, you could look at, you know, all kinds of, uh, you know, modern hunter gatherers, you know, looking at the, the value they put on meat, um, you can look at all the fossil records, so on and so forth. It's just, you know, you can look at the bioenergetic requirements for human beings, the digestive system, it all points to heavy meat eating. And, but, you know, but really, what's really the real important answer is what happens in 2021. You know, what happens when you yeah. eat a bunch of meat? You know, yeah. if it's bad for you, like people might say, I should be, I mean, you know, the average, look at this, the average American eats around 2.4 ounces of red meat a day. Okay. That's it. You know, and then people say, oh, how much meat you're eating? If we look at it, the, like beef in this country, according to our, you know, the statistics we have, in this, the average American eats around about 56 to 58 pounds of beef a year. You know, that's, you know, in 365 days, to 56 pounds of beef. So it's not that much. It's, you know, well below, uh, you know, a quarter of a pound a year or a day rather. And to say that that quarter pound of beef is somehow driving all the disease 
you know, when we look at what else we're eating, 50, 50, 60% of our diet is coming from ultra processed refined foods, refined grains, sugars, seed oils, high fructose corn syrup, you know, canola oil, soybean oil, you know, chemical ingredients, garbage, you know, yeah. that's the problem there. And the fact that I eat five pounds of meat a day, four pounds of meat a day, you know, this is, this is like 25 times the average American's diet of red meat. If red meat were truly bad for you, I should be one of the sickest people on the planet. Instead, I'm breaking world records as an athlete. You know, I'm, I'm walking around with a six pack at 54 years of age. You know, I'm, I'm doing sports, you know, you know, I'm competing against guys 30 years younger than me. And, uh, you know, I mean, my, I've got a, I had a cardiac scan, you know, a coronary artery calcium scan, zero, zero plaque, not wow. an ounce of plaque in me. You know, uh, my, you know, my inflammatory markers are basically zero. My insulin is as low as it can go. Uh, you know, so I mean, triglycerides are next to nothing. I mean, so my blood pressure is completely normal. You know, it's just all these things that, you know, I mean, I wake up every day, with, you know, with a lot of energy and I, I'm working out twice a day, you know, um, I mean, you know, it's like, I'm a healthy guy yeah. and it's not the problem. And it, it never has been. If you look and you look at, there are many meat eating societies that were strong, robust, healthy people. And, you know, the knock is, you know, we talk about, oh, the ancient, um, you know, paleolithic man only lived to 30. Well, that's wrong, actually. What it is, is the overall life expectancy because of super high infant mortality rates, you know, one out of two children are dead. That automatically cuts your life expectancy in half. So yeah. if every child that dies at birth, the max you can be is 40. I mean, you know, if you think at 80 right now, I mean, right. if one out of every two kids born today was right. dying at birth, our life expectancy would be 40 infant mortality rate. And you couple that with accidental deaths, infections, traumas, but the natural lifespan of these people was 70 and 80, and it still is in these indigenous tribes. And even back then, they found fossil remains of people that they suspect were in their 70s and 80s thousands and thousands of years ago. Hmm. So this belief that they didn't live long is just ridiculous. I mean, we have historical accounts of people like, you know, da Vinci living into his 80s, you know, back when the life expectancy was 30. Hmm. So we know that you can live long and it's not because, you know, you, you know, it's, it's, it's not because you ate one way or the other. It's just because, you know, you were fortunate enough not to be eaten by a lion or, right. you know, in some accident where we had no medical <laughs> care. So that argument about, oh, they only lived a short period of time is basically garbage. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I'm going to address the, so this is a topic that's kind of near to my heart because my dad had a uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and you talk about the American diet and how that influences um, cancer and, uh, you know, cancer outcomes. We've got heavy metals in our food and a bunch of other garbage that you mentioned right off the top there, which I totally agree with. How do you, how do you answer the, 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 the red meat link? Cause I think I'm not educated on this. You are far more educated on this than I am. How do you answer the, the, the questions or concerns about cancer specifically in regards to this? Yeah, that's a great question. That's one that comes up. And typically what we see is in regards to colorectal cancer. That's usually the strongest association, epidemiologic association around red, red meat. World Health Organization, World Health Organization through the IARC, the International Association for Research on Cancer, in 2015 proclaimed that red meat was a, unprocessed red meat was a type two carcinogen and processed was a type one carcinogen. Wow. That was based almost exclusively on epidemiologic studies. So basically that is, you know, you take a big population and you say, how much red meat are you eating? How likely is it to you get cancer? That's okay. not a very good science. It's, it's, in fact, it's a very poor science. And often that, that, that very scientific collection uh, process involves something called a food frequency questionnaire where I, I hand you a, a, you know, a 20-page booklet of foods and you just go through and mark how much you think you ate in the last six months. 
The accuracy of that is horrible. We know that. In yeah. fact, the validation studies, when we look at the FFQs, I mean, there was one I looked at recently, you know, it was done in 2018, looking at, I think it was a German FFQ. And they, they basically had people weigh, measure, and write down what they ate for four days. And they measured everything, you know, with very, very good accuracy. 30 days later, they asked them to recall what they thought they ate during that same oh, no. period of time. They only got, and they had 25 separate categories for food. And of those 25 categories, only nine of them were they able to correctly get it at least 50% right. 16 out of 25, they weren't even 50% correct. So that's horrible. But the conclusion of the study was, well, it's good enough for nutritional epidemiology because they know the bar is so low for that. So first of all, that's the type of data we're looking at for probably 90% of this red meat causes cancer. And so when we look at the, the relative risk, and we've got to understand the difference between relative risk and absolute risk. So relative risk, according to that data, um, the World Health Organization is 1.17 for red meat, you know, unprocessed red meat. So that's a 17% increase in your likelihood of getting cancer. Yep. That sounds big and kind of scary. Um, what you, but if we look at something called the Bradford Hill criteria, not until that number exceeds 200% or even 500%, is it even considered relevant to consider thinking that it's possibly causative? Um, you know, if we looked at smoking, smoking, the number wasn't 17%. It was something like 2,000%, 3,000%. These are the percentages we're getting wow. before we could infer that smoking causes cancer. So it's such a small, incredibly small relative risk. But more importantly, we need to understand absolute risk. And so if I said your relative risk of getting struck by lightning was doubled, you know, you would say, okay, <laughs> That's not very, it's not very likely because I'm not going to get struck by lightning anyway, right? Your relative right. risk for winning the, the, the Powerball lottery has been doubled by doing this one thing. Is it meaningful? And so when we look at colorectal cancer, you know, with, with on average about 4%, your, your odds of getting colorectal cancer are about 4%, pretty low. Okay. I, mean, yeah, I mean, it's not nothing, but it's, you know, yeah. so the odds of you not getting it are 96%. If you eat meat, according to the World Health Organization, that 4% risk goes up to about 5%. So now you still have a 95% of not getting colorectal cancer. So I mean, it's still, we're talking at tiny, tiny differences. 100%. And so is that worth it to give up? Even if you believe what they say, and I know, I, I think there's pretty strong evidence to show that what they say is not even credible anyway, but even if you believe that, um, is it worth giving up some of the most nutritious food on the planet? So you can avoid a 1% absolute risk in something like colorectal cancer, which Honestly, if we look at the risk factors for colorectal cancer, for instance, we look at it, obesity, way, it's like 300% risk. If we look mm -hmm. at insulin resistance, like 300% look, if it's chronic inflammation, it's like 300, all these are 300% versus a 17% stuff. The biggest risk factor for colorectal cancer, believe it or not, is having a history of inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease or also colitis. Yeah. That, that increases your risk by like 3000%. This is, these are real deal numbers here. And so but what happens to people with ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease that go on a carnivore diet? Guess what happens? Their the symptoms go away. Their disease goes away. Wow. So you completely mitigate your. So let's say you start out and you're the classic American, big beer gut, big beer belly, pre-diabetic, you know, chronically inflamed. Your risk for col colorectal cancer is up there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You go on a carnivore diet, you lean out, your inflammation goes away, your insulin resistance goes away. You've just decreased your risk dramatically. I don't care how much meat you have. So that tiny little 1% absolute risk is meaningless in the in the in the in the grand scheme of things and so that's what you have to think about it you have to understand all the factors that go into this stuff it's not just 
The only thing that causes colorectal cancer is red meat, which yeah. again, it doesn't cause it. You know, there's no evidence that it really causes. There are associations with it with meat eaters, but again, they don't they don't distinguish a meat eater from a junk food eater. You know, this is what we have. We have standard American diet versus right. someone like myself who doesn't eat junk food, who exercises, who cares about his health. Very, very different risk pool. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So if in those studies, they studied someone who were to say, just go on a regular, not a regular, a, a, a healthy diet, quote unquote, and go away from the norm, which is basically a bunch of junk food, and then compare that to say somebody who's eating, I don't know, even almost exclusively meat, although I know that study hasn't come out yet, and you're working on funding it. Um, because that seems like that would increase the factor in and of itself, just eating this garbage compared to somebody who was just eating healthy, maybe they were on the paleo diet, you know, have any, I mean, have any studies been done on that? Yeah, there are studies that are similar. I mean, this is, you know, when they look at sort of uh, vegetarians and vegans where they claim that they have, you know, better health outcomes. And they've done a study called the Healthy Shopper Study. It was done, I think in the UK about 10 years ago. Okay. And so they, they, they looked at people that were eating a, a vegetarian diet, shopping at a health food store, mm-hmm. and they just found other people that shop at the health food store. That weren't eating a vegetarian diet. So these are people that are all health conscious, no difference in the outcome. You know, okay. it, it basically, if you remove the junk food from your diet, your mortality is better, your cardiovascular uh, outcomes are better, your cancer outcomes are better. This is not something that should surprise anyone. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, I go back to the, the point that, you know, we are suffering, we're in, we are in a pandemic of, of, you know, chronic disease right now, obesity, diabetes, cancer, autoimmune disease, gut diseases, mental health illness, all of these things are, for the most part, at least to the to the degree we see them now, are relatively modern diseases. And you know, I, I, the the former equivalent of the Surgeon General in the UK very rightly said it's preposterous to think that an ancient food is causing a modern disease. I mean, look, like 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 I said, we have been eating meat uh, in some cases tremendous quantities for millennia as human beings, and we never had these issues. You know, if you look at the Canadian First Nations people, when they went away from their meat-based diet in the 1960s in some places, mm-hmm. their cancer rates went up, you know, when oh, they included wow. food, the grains, the flowers, the sugars, so on and so forth, the packaged foods, their, their cancer rates went up significantly. In, in, you know, when, when they were on their standard, eating a bunch of meat, you know, seal meat and seafood and, you know, that, and, and you know, caribou, they were very, very low. So, wow. I mean, it's, you know, we just have ample evidence that, that this is not, not the issue. Sure. Uh, Real quick on your credentials, um, I know you're a doctor. Uh, what kind of uh, medicine do you practice? So my my background was orthopedic surgery. So okay. you know I went to medical school and uh, you know uh, was practicing uh, general orthopedic medicine. You know basically I was doing hip and knee replacements and yeah. shoulder replacements and sports medicine and trauma surgeries and all that stuff. That was my that was my background. I did that for about two decades. Uh, at this point. I founded this company and now I, now I focus solely on nutrition and lifestyle. So I don't actively, uh, I have an active medical license. You know, if I, if I decided I wanted to go back to that, I could, but I'm not really, at this point, I'm so passionate and interested about yeah. lifestyle that, that that's where my, my, my uh, focus lies these days. So, yeah, but I mean, I'm a classically trained physician. I was, you know, uh, you know, a, a you know, person who graduated, you know, with honors from medical school and all that stuff. And I was a trauma surgeon in Afghanistan and, uh, oh, wow. you know, did all kinds of uh, interesting stuff with, with regard to medicine. But I found out that, you know, I think, the, unfortunately, I think the healthcare system is painfully broken yeah. in many ways. I mean, it's yeah. not that there aren't good people in there and think good things can happen, but we have a systemic problem. It's systemically broken. And I just got frustrated dealing with it. And, uh, 
decided to uh, make an impact another way. And, and that's what I'm doing today through MeetRx and some of the other stuff I'm doing. Uh, that's why I love the, the kind of stuff you're doing. I went into, uh, actually had some low back pain from um, powerlifting recently. And uh, the first thing that they did when they went in, I went to, in the urgent care just to get it checked out. One of the th first things they prescribed were muscle relaxers and aspirin. I didn't ask them for drugs. I had never mentioned drugs. And uh, that, you know, you talk about problems with the medical field. Uh, the first thing they throw at you is not change this, change this life lifestyle habit, change that, change the way you're eating, whatever. Um, it's um, let's get you a quick fix and hopefully that'll satisfy whatever you're going in for. I, just, I find it to be mind blowing. Uh, well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's because that's what so many people go in are expecting. I mean, that's why they go to the doctor because they want the drugs. I mean, I mean, not, I mean, in many cases, I mean, that's, and so most of the people want that and that's what they tend to give them. And so they make that assumption. They're not going to talk to you about what's going on in your diet and your sleep and how you exercise. I mean, and, and, and to be fair, most physicians aren't trained in that. They just don't have the expertise. It's not, you don't go to the physician to learn about how to eat or to exercise or even healthy behaviors, quite honestly, because physicians don't really have that unless they, independently have an interest in that but it's not taught to them during their medical curriculum um, you are given tools uh, to fix people with typically drugs or procedures and and that is you know what medicine is i mean for the most part i mean there's there's every once in a while some people will i mean they'll shake their head and they'll, they might you know put out some platitudes about you know you need to take care of yourself better and they'll give, they'll give you a plan or stop eating so much junk food or something like that but it's not really anything that is actually actionable for most people. I mean, they might defer, they might send you to a nutritionist who's gonna, you know, often just tell you to eat a standard, you know, the food plate guide, which for many people doesn't work and it's unsustainable and it doesn't address satiety and appetite and, you know, eat a balanced diet and eat in moderation. You know, I mean, that's what everybody's doing. I mean, you know, or, you know, in many cases, they, or that's what they're trying to do and moderation doesn't work for most people. I, speaking of which, you talk about that food plate and the, the whatever it is that, um... Uh, FDA, yeah. yeah, the food and the food pyramid that I guess the FDA came up with. like where where in the heck did they get, you know, like I think grains at the bottom are the biggest category. Um, I mean, what's I, any any logical reasons behind that? I'm sure so, they have. I their mean, own those numbers are largely arbitrary. I mean, they pick out you know five servings of fruit and vegetables a day. I mean, it's it's all arbitrary. There's no. Yeah magic sort of sort of thing that gets it this is all arbitrary stuff the 11 grains and servings you have to remember that um the united states is tremendously blessed with farmland and we produce a lot of grain we produce an absolute tremendous amount of grain for, for the united states and throughout the world yeah. and that is one of the functions of the usda is promote agriculture and so their food pyramid their food guide has to support the agricultural system and so that and and you know those that those companies that feed into that actually help fund the USDA. And so the USDA is compromised in its interest. You know, it's, its interests are competing with what is maybe perhaps a healthy diet. I think that, you know, a grain-based diet certainly allows for calories. I mean, it's a cheap way to get calories out to people. Yeah. However, it is unfortunately relatively poor quality food. I mean, yeah. it really is. I mean, it has allowed civilizations to, uh, sort of develop and, and people to stay in one place because you know before when you're hunter gatherers it's hard to establish cities when your food supply keeps moving around you know you right. can't do that so once you kind of consolidate the food supply now you can develop cities and then and, and then the structure that goes with them and then the, the political structure and the civilization and so that has been either depending on what you believe either a good thing or a bad thing but certainly has allowed for civilization and collective intelligence and you know innovation and, and, and specialization and this type of stuff 
Um, what it has done to our human health is a different story. I mean, it's clearly been a detriment to human health. And so um, this is something, you know, you go back into the fossil records and anytime you see pre-agricultural fossils, they were always of much better quality, stronger bones, better teeth, larger structures. Once you see these post-agricultural societies, you know, the brain size is actually, you know, most people don't know this, the human brain size has actually shrunk about 200 cc's uh, cubic centimeters since uh, about 100,000 years ago, as we went away from this, you know, our food support, food supply, which was largely these big, large um, mega herbivores with lots of fat and meat and lots of calories and very nutrient dense to having to rely on grains and smaller animals and leaner meats and, uh, you know, processing plants. But uh, that's, 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 that's the reality of, of our human existence. Sure. Uh, you mentioned leaner meats and, and cuts of meat. Do you differentiate between the fattier cuts and the lean cuts? Do you have preferences for one over the other, particularly with regards to carnivore diets? Well, I think, you know, obviously, if, if you're eschewing carbohydrates, you got to get energy from somewhere. And okay. protein yeah. is not necessarily the best source of energy. You can convert, you know, protein into glucose, the uh, yep. gluconeogenesis, but it's not the easiest process. So you have to get a requisite amount of fat. And you know, I think ancestrally, it's pretty clear we were hunting large mega herbivores, which tend to have a decent amount of fat. And then, and so, you know, and, and most people prefer a, a better marbled steak. It just has more yep. flavoring. And I think there's a reason, there's a visceral, visceral reason, but I think it's, it matches physiology. So I tend to, you know, get at least a certain amount of fat in my diet. I'm not, I, I couldn't survive on skinny, you know, that skinless boneless chicken breast for the rest yeah. of my life. I would, I would die. I mean, you have to have a certain, I mean, I'm, I'm literally, you would probably yeah. get sick and die, but you have to have a, you, you have to have a certain amount of fat. That fat's going to vary from individual from individual, you know, someone who's highly active, um, like me, probably I can get away with a little more fat than somebody that might be a little more, uh, obese in some cases, you know, but it depends on, it also helps with satiety in many cases. I know, for instance, for some reason, I'm still trying to figure it out. I can eat, you know, I can easily put down four five, six pounds of steaks, red, you know, ribeyes and uh, T-bones and, you know, uh, New York strips and whatnot, uh, you know, skirt steaks. But if you put like more than two pounds of brisket in front of me, I, I can't do it, man. I, I just, I don't know why. It's just huh. whatever, whatever there, whatever is in brisket is just, it just fills me up and I'm like stuffed. I almost tap out, you know, I'm just, I mean, I had three pounds of it the other day and that was, that was like, I was literally almost ready to die on that, <laughs> but I don't know, but I got, you know, it might be the, the additional fat content that, that does that. And so yeah. there is, I think, you know, there is a point where, um, so, you know, it, it has an impact on satiety and certain people like, you know, I know for instance, diabetics sometimes will have better glycemic control with a higher fat ratio than protein for, for a number of reasons, which, I, you know, I can go to the physiology behind that, but, but that's, you know, the short answer is it, it varies from person to person, but you know, you have to have at least some amount of fat in the diet. And I think I would be surprised if you can, you can't really do when it comes to caloric standpoint, you know, getting much more than about 50% of your calories from protein is really hard to do and sustain. You know, that's kind of like the limit for, for me for any long period of time. Most of the time I'm probably getting my, calories in a form of about 30 to 40% protein and the rest coming from fat. Wow. Okay. So, um, yeah, so most of your, so most is it, so is it 70% fat, 30, 30 to 40% uh, lean protein, protein. or protein? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's, I mean, if you think about a ribeye steak is about that. That's what a ribeye steak is. It's okay. about 60, 65% fat. Um, you know, it's because you remember that fat is 
nine calories per gram and protein is only four calories per gram in general. So gotcha. even though it looks like a smaller amount, you relatively right. get a higher contribution of calories. So, yeah. Mm. And then um, also lean meat is made out of water. A lot of, much of lean meat is water. Oh, so yeah, 70% of ground beef is, is basically water. So, you know, when you cook, it always shrinks up because you're boiling off all the water and that's where, that's what happens. So it's also doesn't water. taste as good <laughs> to be perfectly frank. Um, uh, the, oh shoot. Oh yeah. I was going to ask you about, um, vitamin C deficiencies. You mentioned scurvy early on and, and other sorts of whatever vitamin deficiencies. Um, how do you address those with, uh, with, a, are, are there, am I not understanding something about what's in meat and that it's fully sufficient? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, uh, the, the sort of the, the, there's a legal argument for something that, you know, I can't remember the Latin on this right now, but it speaks for itself. I mean, um, no one's getting scurvy. I mean, it's, I mean, I've, I've, you know, I mean, no legitimate case of scurvy have occurred in this diet in, in many years now. And so what we do know, I mean, you know, and we, we, I'm sure we don't know at all, but I mean, yeah. we know back from as far back as 150 years ago, you know, people exploring the, 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 you know, the circumpolar regions, they found that fresh meat was a cure for scurvy. I mean, if you had access huh. to fresh meat and it doesn't have to be like fresh off the animal, I mean, it can mm -hmm. be just not previously like canned or, or you know previously dried meat okay you have what it takes to prevent scurvy there is actually even though the usda list no vitamin c in meat independent labs have have on many different occasions one in germany and another independent lab has shown that even meat from steak has about you know 10 milligrams of vitamin c per pound which is about enough to to stave off what we think is scurvy but we also have to realize that our requirements for vitamins and minerals, whether it's magnesium or zinc or vitamin C or many other ones are very different depending upon what our baseline diet is. That is to say that when you're on a high carbohydrate diet, your magnesium requirements actually go up. We also know that uh, um, you know, glucose, for instance, competes with vitamin C across a number, a number of different uh, transporters, whether it's the mitochondrial membrane or the, the, the membrane across the, the uh, gut transporters you know, they're in direct competition. So the more glucose you have in your gut, the less vitamin C is going to get through. So you're going to be absorbing relatively more. Uh, we also know that the red cell or the red cell can actually recycle vitamin C in our body. So there's lots of mechanisms. We also know that, for instance, uric acid, which we always associate uric acid with gout, but uric acid is also a very powerful antioxidant. Most people don't know that, but uric acid's function in the body is to be an antioxidant. Humans loss uh, the capacity for an enzyme called a uricase. Uricase breaks down uric acid. So we accumulate uric acid and we also lost the ability to synthesize vitamin B, vitamin C. So some people think that's a trade-off that the, the antioxidant function of vitamin C has been supplanted by uric acid. So uric acid level being a little bit higher okay. um, kind of takes over some of those antioxidant roles for vitamin C. We know that carnitine, for instance, vitamin C is crucial in carnitine uh, function. Carnitine shovels fat into the mitochondria. And when you don't have as much vitamin C, you can get carnitine from eating meat. Meat is very rich in carnitine. So you're actually, again, another one of the functions of vitamin C is being you know, made, made obsolete by the fact that you're eating all this, this carnitine. And, you know, and, and so, um, you know, on and on and on. You can talk about a lot, a lot of different nutrients with that. Like zinc, for instance, if you eat a lot of phytic acid, phytic acid is found in beans, legumes, grains, mm -hmm. it blocks the absorption of zinc and therefore you have to eat even more zinc. And so when you're not wow. eating those things, you need less zinc. Meat is actually a very good source of zinc and seafood can be too. And so shellfish particularly, I think. Yep. Um, so you've got this sort of better efficiency of absorption, less anti-nutrients, things that have blocked the absorption of that. Oh. And then 
potentially less requirements for these particular vitamins. And so I think we, we end up seeing, you know, people just not having problems, you know, despite, yeah. you know, because these, these, these recommended daily allowances or, or, or DRIs, diet, dietary reference indices, mm. were determined on, on a grain-based eating population, eating, you know, 60% of their calories from carbohydrates. And, and so that may not apply to everybody. You know, I, I think it doesn't. I think we're finding that out more and more. Man, I, I guarantee you 90% of the people listening to this probably had no idea about any of that you just said. And I would have assumed that all the eating all of the other well-balanced foods would have increased the amount of absorption. Let of- me let me just let me just pose something for you. Let's say we've got this eat the rainbow, eat, you know, all these different colored yeah, foods, yeah. vegetables, and all this thing. Many of them don't grow in the same area. Many of them don't even grow on the same continent. How would you propose? even 500 years ago, you would, you would be able to eat this diet. I mean, it doesn't make sense, right? What would, what would the average person 500 years ago would probably eat a very limited diet of animals around them that they could hunt and whatever small amount of, you know, edible root vegetables and maybe some fruit that was seasonal they could get would be a very, very limited diet, you know? And then if you can tell me what fruit or vegetable grows in every single climate, in every geographic region and every, you know, uh, you know, time of the year, then I'll believe it's essential. But I can yeah. tell you what lives in every single climate, in every geographic region, in every every single time of the year are animals. Mm-hmm. You can always find an animal to eat. And humans did that. That's why we we are humans are the most geographically diverse species on the planet. We have settled more areas than any other type of animal. The only other animal that comes close to us is a wolf. Wolves are the second most ge- geographically diverse pop, uh, you know, animal on the planet. And guess what wolves eat? They eat a basically a carnivorous diet, right? Because they can find little rabbits and critters to, to, to catch and eat or, you know, deer or something like that. So, uh, you know, just, just from common sense, you know, you think yeah. about that. How do you know, you're saying I have to eat this, this, this. I'm like, how would someone 500 years ago eat this before we had modern refrigeration and transportation? Right. It's impossible. Yeah. So, I mean, just balance, eat, you know, 35 colors and a, and a wide bounty of fruits and vegetables is based on, you know, trying to sell, sell crap to you, basically. Yeah, I feel like we're spoiled here in the U.S. with how much, just the availability of food sources, too. I mean, I'm, it's like that in other countries as well. But um, wanted to talk about your fitness and weightlifting uh, career as well. And you break the world records. Can you talk a little bit about that? People might not know. Sure, sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, like I said, I've been an athlete my whole life. So, I mean, I, I guess where I, you know, in medical school, I, in, in fact, it was interesting. I actually dropped out of medical school for a while to go play professional rugby. I left to go to New Zealand. Oh, wow. Um, back, you know, after my first year of medical school, I just kind of like, I said, hey, guys, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna quit and play rugby for a while. I know they, they, you know, people in medical school thought I was nuts. And, and I, you know, and I, maybe I was, but I, you know, I had a great time and I played at this high level of rugby and I played, you know, for the military armed forces, combined services team, and a lot of high level wow. teams in the U S and, um, and then I went back to medical school. I mean, I got back in, I just said, Hey, I just, you know, took like a seven year break. Um, and then I was, I got into powerlifting at some point prior to that. And after that, and I set, uh, uh, several state and American records in the deadlift specifically, I was, I have super long arms, so I wasn't, yep, same here. <laughs> but, I mean, I could deadlift pretty decent. I ended up pulling, you know, 772 pounds as a drug, you know, completely lifetime drug-free athlete, which nice. I've always been. Yeah. Um, and then I got into, um, I did strongman competitions for a while. So, you know, lifting the big Atlas stones and pulling the trucks and all that stuff. And I ended up at the first, the first ever national championships we had in the U S for that. I think I ended up taking like fifth place, which was, you know, not bad, but I realized that if I wasn't willing to take drugs, I wasn't going to likely be able to be, um, 
successful. I, I didn't want to do that. And, you know, it was just something I was in my, my surgical residency at the time. It was really tough time-wise. It was just, it's just really challenging um, to do that. You know, this was right after I, you know, because was doing well in powerlifting. And yeah. so then I ended up eventually getting into something called the Highland Games, mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, you're throwing all these things and I won a world championship and national championship set a world record in that. And then I got, for, for a brief period of time, I did some track and field. So I threw the discus and oh, some yeah. Got put in a couple of nights. I ended up being all American, you know, masters all American in that. And then um, I think when I was about 43 or 44, 43, I decided that being 300 pounds was just not what I wanted to be anymore. And so I, I ended up getting into rowing with concept two and, you know, CrossFit, I'm sure you're familiar yep. with concept two rowing machine. So I ended up competing in that and I set several world records on the concept two. Uh, you know, the, the 500 meter row, I pulled 114 at, you know, at 50 years of age. And so Holy that was, a, that broke the world record by like something like four seconds. Uh, so <laughs> I basically shattered the world record. And this was all on a carnivore diet, by the way, this was not, you know, when I turned 50, right before That's I turned incredible. 50, I jumped on a carnivore diet. And I, you know, like I said, I broke, uh, I broke like six American records and, uh, uh, you know, three world records on that thing. And so now I'm, you know, I've kind of shifted my focus and now I'm competing in, well, I, I shouldn't say I'm competing. I've just started in jujitsu and so i will my efforts will be to compete at a high level and hopefully win a world championship you know at belt levels and, and age levels you know during that and then hopefully continue you know on for the next i don't know decade or so i kind of it seems like i switch sports about every decade you know i get kind of where i realize i can't get any better and then i'm like okay let's try something else and see what we can see what we can do with that so i'm so that's where i'm at currently so and i'm you know i'm like i said i'm on an all full meat diet and i'm training like i, I just worked out a little bit before this i did a bunch mm-hmm. of deadlifts and uh push-ups and deadlifts and then i'll go bang out uh a jiu-jitsu session tonight and it'll all be on you know strictly meat no no carbs needed that's phenomenal what by the way what does your home gym look like out of curiosity especially right now uh well when i have it set up you know it's it's right now it's going to take take you know a one car garage over which i think it's around 400 square feet and mm-hmm. i've got a you know power rack you know platform for weights for you know olympic lifting power lifting stuff i've got some heavy uh, kettlebells. I like to do heavy kettlebell swings. I, my the biggest one I have is 176 pounds. So I'll do that for, for a bunch of swings. And then I've got some uh, plyometric boxes, you know, go up to about 60 inches. So I'll either jump on those or I'll use those for different, different exercises. Um, I'll lo- I use it as a loading platform. So I'll take medicine balls and I've got up to a 200 pound medicine ball where I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do that, load that thing up and down, you know, wow. but uh, I've got a, you know, an air, basically an airdyne type bike, you know, like an aerosol type bike, which, you know, as you know, is those things are painful concept to rolling machine. And then I've got some mats laid out for jujitsu practice so I can practice, you know, you know, some of that stuff. And so that's, I think that's, you know, I've got some weighted vests. I've got like, I think I've got 175 pounds of weighted vests. I've got three vests, two set, two fifties and a 75. And so um, I've got some gymnastic rings, um, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's, a, it, um, it gets me everything I need, quite honestly. I mean, I'm yeah. pretty, pretty happy with what I have as far as, you know, it took me a long time to sort of put that stuff together and I've got, you know, to where I can train at a very high level, you know, at home, which is nice. And particularly when they keep shutting gyms down on everybody for oh my gosh reasons, which I think make no sense, but, but anyway, yeah, doing it over and over again. Um, what are some of the, uh, do you have any highlights in your head of people who have adopted the carnivore diet and all of a sudden just their health outcomes changed incredibly dramatically, like a couple that just absolutely stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, there's so many, guys. I mean, I, I would encourage people that they're listening to go to meetrx.com, click on success stories. We have, we have 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of testimonials. It's, it's, it's amazing what we've seen. But I mean, some of the ones that really, I mean, you know, like I said, I every day, seven days a week, I have a meeting at 9 a.m. With, with the community and I sit there and host a meeting for an hour. And sometimes we have a guest lecturer on and we talk about, you know, whatever topic is your, but most of the time it's just me chatting with the members of the audience and we, we you know, we're kind of supporting each other and getting feedback. And I mean, I've seen several, I mean, we had one gal who was literally bedridden, you know, couldn't, barely could get out of bed, you know, I had, wow. had to use a walker to get around her house. You know, fast forward six months later, she is now out there running around dancing in the street. She was out in the rain dancing in the street because she was so happy and overjoyed. I mean, I've got people that uh, had a gal who's, you know, she's lifetime of cerebral palsy, never could exercise. You know, she, I remember she sit in the meetings, you know, month after month, and finally she, she adopted the diet. And she was like, within a month, she says, I finally feel like exercising for the first time in my life. And this woman's probably 60. She's in there every meeting, like just working out, lifting wow. her weights. And it just gets this, it just really brings a smile to my face. And you know, we had a, I had another physician who had something called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder. Yep. And so what happens is, you know, their collagen is all stretched out. And so they often end up dislocating their joints. As orthopedic surgeons, we used to see this not infrequently. Hmm. And her life, what she told me was pretty much every single morning of her life, she would dislocate joints in her sleep. So she'd wake up in the morning and her shoulder would be out of socket. Maybe an ankle would be out of socket. You know, maybe her wrist would be out of socket. So she had to get up in the morning and pop joints back into place, you know, put on her white coat, go to the hospital, work in the emergency, she was an emergency room physician. And then, you know, every other shift, one of her, her shoulder would pop out of place and she'd have to put it in the middle of the shift. That had been her life for years, for decades. And you know, she was developing arthritis. As you can imagine when your joints pop in and out there, it's, it becomes traumatic and you get a lot of, and she was in a lot of pain. She went on a carnivore diet within one month, pain goes away. She stops having dislocations. It just stops dislocating, which I was like, I was, I was blown away by that. Cause I was like, it doesn't make sense. This is a genetic yeah. tissue disorder. She's also is now going into the gym, losing weight, getting stronger. And, you know, as basically regained her life back. It's, it's just incredible. And so, I, I mean, I've seen on, obviously people with post-traumatic stress disorder, people that were suicidally depressed, changing their diet, going to a meat-based diet completely eradicates that. These people get their lives back. And uh, I mean, it's just on and on and on. I've got, you know, it's like, I've seen this thousands of times now yeah. and it's just, it, it always puts a smile on my face. Nothing surprises me anymore. In the beginning, I was like, wow, this is really unexpected because I didn't understand it. But today it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not shocked by anything because I've seen just about everything get better. Sure. Well, and it's, it's the kind of thing that I feel like the majority of people already enjoy eating meat anyway. So going full bore on that is not, it's not like, I don't know how to describe this. It's not like you're, you're telling people go 90% into vegetables, which is going to be insanely hard to consume and really a grind for some people. Like the fact the <laughs> to me, I, I hear you saying, you know, you can eat a ribeye every meal. And I'm like, great. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just super appealing. Um, and, and I don't know. I, I, I love the approach that you're taking with all, with, with the diet and, and the, the success that, I don't know, there's, there's too many success stories coming out of that to ignore. Um, I, I'm surprised that they haven't, I mean, somebody independently hasn't, hasn't funded the, uh, the research to, to do something like this already. Well, I mean, Harvard University has done a research project on this. And so that study is, is, is been, the data is done. The study, I think, has been written up. It's, it's, okay. it's, it's going to be published probably later this year. Oh, good. Um, that, that has about 2,000 people. I helped to sort of, you know, get, get people volunteers for that study. They've done that. I, I didn't have anything to do with collecting the data or, or doing the data. But I have, 
you know, they, they've told me what it shows and it's going to show a very good outcome. Nice. For nice. people doing this diet. And so it's probably going to be controversial and it's probably going to piss off, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the people at the physician's committee for irresponsible medicine, you know, the, the yeah, of course. And they're going to, want to you know, probably demand a retraction or something like that. But yeah, I mean, there's been, there's been a few other uh, independent studies. There was a study out of uh, uh, Switzerland looking at, it was a case series of about six patients, one on a carnivore diet for treating something called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or, or okay. SIBO. Mm-hmm. And they showed hundred percent efficacy. There's another study out of UC, UC Merced where they looked at people on a carnivore diet and it was more of a psychological survey, you know, mm-hmm. to see what was the motivation. And again, it was, People are doing it because they want to get healthy and the results show that people are getting healthy. So there are some people that are taking an interest in this. And uh, I think even more so there's more and more physicians that are prescribing this to their patients. I mean, they are, they are seeing, you know, some of them are willing to say, look, I just want my patients to get healthy. And, you know, uh, I'm tired of, you know, telling people you're going to die of a heart attack in 30 years, you know, so don't do this and that. And, but instead I have to deal with them being sick every single day for the next 30 years waiting to avoid their heart attack while they're in misery. And I think that's just, I think it's where we missed the boat. You know, I, you know, the real, the real truth of the matter is we have no idea what the perfect diet is to prevent you from, for, you know, prevent you from dying early or living long or not getting cancer. I mean, that, 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 that data is not there. I'm not going to say a carnivore diet is because I have no way of knowing that. No one does. Yeah. You know, anybody who's promoting any particular diet for longevity doesn't really have the data to back it up because we, we just can't do the, the, the proper studies it would take. And so mm-hmm. what I like to look at is, you know, if I've got somebody in front of me that's sick and suffering, I want to, I want to, you know, end that disease. You know, I want I want to make them healthy today, tomorrow, so that they feel good and can participate in life. And I think if we could just focus on that as physicians, um, then we would do the right things. And then I think probably those people that are healthy and feel good are going to actually have a better quality of life and probably a longer life too, quite honestly. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's where I come from. Yeah. Uh, one last question. Um, I wanted to ask you about soy. I know you've had a couple of posts there recently, and I know that was a big fat at one point. I don't know how much of a big deal it is now. What are some of the dangers of going to soy, um, and having that as part of your, part of your diet? Well, I mean, you know, it's probably like anything, there's a dosage amount that that's a problem. And there's some people that are very anti-sore and there's some people that are very pro-soy. I mean, the mixed, the, the, the literature quite honestly is quite mixed on that. Some studies will show that soy is protective for certain conditions or the mm-hmm. other ones will show it may exacerbate. There's a recent study came out looking at soy consumption and irritable bowel syndrome, which we have, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a growing epidemic. People, yeah. so many people have, you know, poor gut function. And we see that soy has now been incorporated into a lot of food. I mean, yeah. you, if you go and look at the American diet, a lot of what we get uh, through particularly processed food is, is soy based. And we have a soy in a lot of, they sneak it in everything. Yeah. And, you know, in fact, the number of calories people eat from soybean oil exceeds what we get from beef in the United States right now, which Holy most cow. people would be shocked by that. But oh you actually gosh. eat more soy. I mean, the average American eats more soy soy calories, you know, than they do beef calories. And so um, there are problems, you know, I mean, some of the, one of the problems with soy, you know, it's, you know, soybeans contain um, trypsin inhibitors, trypsin inhibitors are, are anti-proteolytic uh, uh, compounds that pr- prevent the breakdown of protein. And so hmm. it d- decreases the efficiency by which you can absorb protein. And so, you know, some people talk about it, you know, having estrogenic properties, you know, and that's, Again, that's a, that's a plant phytoestrogen 
whether or not that's a real effect or not, that's very controversial. Some people seem to think so. Some people don't. Some people think you, know, you got to be drinking in, you know, taking in massive doses for it to be a problem. Um, I don't consume any soy or, or you know, at least not knowingly. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's something that, uh, you know, you likely you can get, there's better sources of protein. I, I will say that. And, you know, I would certainly point to any animal protein to be a better, better source of protein, you know, than soy, you know, for, for many reasons. Yeah. I understand. Uh, where can people find you? Um, I know you've got website and all that just, uh, for, for people sure. to know. Yeah. I mean, so my, my preference place of having people find me in meter X, you know, we, you, you can sign up for free, you know, for a month for free there. I'm, I'm there every day, seven days a week, 9am. You can talk directly to me. Like just like we're having a conversation now. Awesome. That's my preference. Cause I, you know, I, I like to be able to interact with people and, and actually develop some sort of you know, to find out what the nuances because they're questions. I mean, I'm on Instagram, yeah. Sean Baker, 1967, S-H-A-W-N-B-A-K-E-R-1967. I'm on Twitter at SBakerMD. I've got a YouTube channel, Sean Baker, which I, you know, put up a video most days. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of, you know, some of my, some of my uh, social media posts are, are somewhat inflammatory. I mean, <laughs> sometimes that's done intentionally. I mean, yeah. I want to, I want to get people to be passionate about things. I want people to think about things, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think most people are, you know, when they meet me in person or they talk to me, they say, well, you're very different from your social media posts, you know, but it's a different medium. You know, you've got, uh, you know, Twitter, you got 280 characters, you know, and trying to tell yeah. a story and, you know, are you, you know, it's tough to impart humor or nuance into some of these social media posts. And so some people don't get it. I mean, sometimes I put stuff up there that many, most people find it to be very funny and there'll always be some people that get very offended of and course. it just drives me a little bit. You know, I just, I just, sometimes I just block those people. It's kind of useless. If you're so easily offended, just, I don't have a use for you. So go away. Don't be on social media. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, welcome to the internet. Right, exactly. Yeah. You're, you're, well, life. Yeah. you're walking into the offended zone. Right, oh, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Sean. Uh, really appreciate your time. And uh, you guys, if you haven't uh, checked out his work and uh, the website, please do. Um, and uh, hop on those calls with him uh, in the mornings as well. But thank you so much for being on. Really appreciate you. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Let me know uh, when this comes out and uh, I'll be happy to sort of talk about it. So thanks a bunch. Thank you for listening. Please give Freedom Cast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It would mean a lot, a lot, a lot to our business. Plus, it's fun to read y'all's reviews. See you next time. <laughs>